Yeah, speaking of introducing characters this episode, uh, we're not introduced to any of the characters we're following now. New characters talking amongst themselves. I don't think I I was told their names. That's why, yeah, I don't think you were either. They did mention a couple of names, and I did take note of them, but the subtitles are where you're going to have to learn. Some of these names you okay. never heard, like the blonde-haired uh, warder that was hanging out with Lan. I don't think his name was ever spoken. Okay, uh, I did not have my blue blockers on today, and that <laughs> man has brown hair. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Blonde, we'll say, but let's start from the beginning. Today, uh, we'll just say Sandy, <laughs> not blonde, just yes, <laughs> Sandy hair. We're talking episode four. It's called The Dragon Reborn. Uh, we're going to have some new characters in this episode that we'll discuss when we get to them. But I failed to take note of who directed this episode. Uh, I'm going to guess that it's Breezewitz based from the style of this episode because it seems like it follows along more with uh, episodes one and two. Uh, when Daniel Yip directed the last episode three, it, it seemed like it had a completely different tone to it. So I'm just take a wild guess and say this is Breezewitz directing this one. I'll check it. Uh, I will look because I thought it was it, I thought it was Yip. It was, or era, I thought it was a three-letter word. Yeah, find out for me, please. That's great. I don't have a computer in front of me. That's fantastic. So we're going to start this episode out. We got this fella attacking the city. The Dragon Reborn is taking on, I want to say this right. I don't know how to pronounce any of these words. Gelden. Let's just say Gelden. The city of Gelden. The dragon besieges the city. Uh, he's using the one power openly. You can see like all the snaky eels all around him. That is the, the dark half of the one power. We call that Satan. Um, the king looks like Johnny Drama from Entourage. Can you agree with me on that one, James? I've never seen the show. I couldn't get past it. Like the very first shot they show of that king, he has this, you know, really scared, effective look on his face. And he had like the same like, duh, look that Johnny Drama always had on Entourage. So that kind of took me out of the show a little bit. It, it should have, might, they might as well have just gone ahead and casted Dylan for this. But uh, we learn a lot of stuff about the Dragon Reborn here. Uh, we learned that he is just as likely to save the world or that's what his goal is, is to save the world. Mm-hmm, he wants mm-hmm. to have followers joining him. He embraces this king to, you know, be one of his allies. Um, we know that these two figures are kind of telling him what to do, like the dark power that not the dark power, but the magic that he's using is, uh, you know, speaking to him, one of which is a, a woman named Alusha, and the other of which did not have a name, but all I'm right, just going right. to assume. I do want to tell um, you that Wayne Yip is who directed today's episode. Okay, good good job, Wayne. He did a better job on this episode than he did on episode three. I had a lot of, uh, of stopgaps in episode three that kind of threw me through a loop. And I yeah, think, but yeah. The episode three was just following people around. It wasn't really a lot happening yeah but i thought how awkward the uh the too often were introduced was off-putting oh yeah 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 yeah. and that scene could have definitely used a little bit of direction there uh yeah before we go on with um because yeah the dragon reborn here uh adopts the king as one of his followers now 
Um, before we move on, do you have any other thoughts about that scene? Yeah, Nicole, because I was in a different room while it was playing the recap, and I was like, oh, I'll be back in time. But it had already started the episode, and Nicole's like, you're missing things. And then I said, Nicole, I don't need to even watch this show. I can just predict everything that's about to happen. You're so proud of yourself with your <laughs> your accurate predictions that you've made so far. I, I am, I am. I, I'm making the mistake with you that I've making with Charlotte. Charlotte's learning to drive right now. She's 16 and she's great. I mean, she's a fantastic driver, but I'm just filling her with all this like confidence and positivity. Like, oh, you're great. You're fantastic. You're, you know, better than all these other people on the highway. And so now she has this huge confidence boost and she thinks that she can never get in a wreck ever <laughs> because it's- she's the best driver out there. It's better than what Nicole's father did for her, which was just scream constantly <laughs> while teaching her how to drive. So Nicole doesn't like driving now. Yeah, I I learned from my past and I, I realized that there's right ways and wrong ways that things were done to me and I have done to the like patience is the key when dealing with mm-hmm. anyone. Patience and <laughs> just uh, just general uh, I, I, I was going to say uh, animosity, but that's not the right word. What's the word that starts with A that's similar to animosity, but it means the exact op- amicable. There you go. Oh, I was going to say apathy. <laughs> Be a, a apathetic, I, I'm also thinking of empathetic. That's the, <laughs> the apathetic while teaching your children how to drive. Yep. So I'm being a little too, uh, too giving with you two here. James, you're figuring it all out. You're going to, I did it. You did it. Did I you, got so- did you figure out who the dragon was? Uh, yeah, I, I know, but I won't tell you. Uh, why not? I don't want to spoil it for you, dude. Okay. Because it could be different in the show than in the book, you know? That's true. That's true. Um, I got some more notes though. Oh yeah, please. I'm sorry. When, so Nicole was stood up and, you know, was about to leave the room well, the king was saying, oh, I'll give you the crown or whatever. I'll make you king. And then the dragon reborn, in quotes, maybe, <laughs> he says, what does the dragon reborn need with a crown? And then Nicole said this, and I quote, it means a lot because it's shiny and I'm a dragon. <laughs> And dragons like to hoard things like gold and crowns. <laughs> so let's see. We're going to move on to the next scene, which we meet the Aes Sedai camp. It's kind of set up almost like a scout camp, separated in little patrols. In this case, separated in the little Ajas. We see the uh, the green Aja and the red Aja tents out there. Um, this is Corinne. You said you didn't catch some names, but they did name Corinne here. She's healing Moraine. And okay. she does a good job. Good job, Corinne. Uh, but it weakens her. Uh, and this kind of thing would not normally weaken Corinne. The reason is because she's weak from having to shield the dragon reborn down. Or they're calling him the false dragon at this point because nobody believes he's the dragon reborn. It's kind of except similar to the, some. Hmm? Except the thousands of people who believe it. <laughs> yes. Those thousands of people definitely believe it, but everybody else is like, eh, you're the false dragon. Everybody knows you're not for real. Or maybe they don't because they reveal when they captured him 
they just like made some thunder and shit and all his in quotes followers and warriors just left they weren't willing to fight for this dragon reborn yeah yep we'll touch on that when we get to that scene when uh Leanna, leandrin talks about it but for right now we know that lee that alana leandrin and Corinne, as well as moraine are the strongest Aes Sedai because they mention here that they're the only ones that are strong enough to uh, shield this guy. Anybody mm-hmm. else, you know, just straight up couldn't do it. So uh, that's just a little fact you want to put in your back pocket. The four of them, strongest Aes Sedai we know. Okay, and can I ask one of my questions for this week? Or This is more so a clarification. Definitely. Question number one. Okay, this is about the robes that they wear, the different colors, and I, I just want to make sure that I have it correct. The greens are like the warriors, the foot soldiers that go out into battle. Correct. Okay, the red are, I guess, the police or the gatekeepers of magic. Absolutely, yes. And then the blue are the spies that go in and just gauge what climates are on the outside world exactly you got it all right yeah i had that in my notes here to describe that but you did it perfectly thank you are there any other robe colors have you watched the opening credits yet james (laughs) next question (laughs) if you watch the opening credits you will see all the different colors of the aja and you will see and you will know which ones are coming up next perhaps but for right now all we got is green red and blue what is the Aja? Aja is just a, a term for um, their their group, their sect. Kind of like you say, like a patrol or like a team, an Aja. Okay, so that's the, uh, the Aes Sedai are made up of different groups of Aja? Correct. Okay, all right. Yep, and there is seven of them in all. Of course there's seven. Everything has to have a numerically perfect uh, <laughs> symbolism, right? How is seven numerically perfect? Uh, because it's a common lucky number. It's a, it's a, okay. like a, the septogram. Uh, I don't know. It's just a number that's, that comes up a lot in theology, mythology, and religion. You want to know a perfect number to me? Yeah. Like 10. It is. You can round it up perfectly. Because <laughs> when I eat dumplings, I'm like, I need 10 dumplings. That's going to be good. Chips, I need 10 chips. Cookies, I need 10 cookies. Do I need to address the uh, the elephant in the room that's behind me here? <laughs> uh, yeah, just going crazy on, a, I'm guessing, a bone? Yeah, he's got one of his peanut butter filled bones and he can't get the peanut butter out the center. So what he does is he throws the bone around the room to loosen up the peanut butter so that he can get to it. So uh, we're going to take a little break. We're going to get Hopper's peanut butter bone here, and we'll be right back. Okay, James? Yeah. Yeah. We can continue talking about Wheel of Time. Welcome back, James. Hello. Hello. So we were talking about the dragon reborn, or the false dragon, dang it, in the Ajas. We know that he's uh, got thousands of followers, and we know that... When they captured him, they surrounded their camp with lightning. Um, They shielded him. They said it was super easy to do, even though that's the case. And it sounds like it was an easy um, capture. I would have personally much rather have seen that scene than to see like a long detailed scene of the Trollocs um, 
doing their thing. And it would have mm-hmm. been like an easier and more like a uh, budgetary effective scene, I think. Says they have wards that are set around and that's one way that they're um, able to keep their camp safe and they're able to, they have all kinds of tricks they can do that throughout the years that I, this band of Aes Sedai has been around for hundreds of years and they figured out things, how to shield people, how to seal a room so nobody can hear inside the room, um, how to make someone not speak by filling their mouth with air, uh, plugging their ears with air so they can't hear, um, setting little traps so they know if somebody crosses this bridge, it'll set off a little alarm. They have all kinds of little tricks they use. Uh, Any questions so far, James? No, none yet. Leandrin is quick to say that this guy is mad. She says, this guy, false dragon, she wants to just go ahead and still the guy. Do you remember we saw her still a guy early on in the show? Um, She and her group of red... Aes Sedai were out there and they sucked the power out of that one guy that had his twin brother in his head or whatever. You remember this? Oh, I thought I thought this was the same guy. No, no, no. This is a different guy. Um, that guy was just a random dude that they found and they sucked the magic out of him. Okay. If that was this guy, then the magic would have been already sucked out of him. This guy still okay, has all right. the magic in him. Leandrin, if you got to go back and look at look at her words carefully because she does not lie. But she also does not admit that she did has already done that because there's uh, Karene makes a, makes a statement here saying we can't just go around and, you know, still men without a proper trial. We just saw Leandrin do that without mm-hmm. a proper trial. Um, so that's another reason that they're out there together, too, that the green and the red are together is to kind of keep each other in check as well, because if you just mm-hmm. send the red out there, who knows what they're going to do? Or how I describe them, gatekeepers or the police. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the Reds Reds have already gone a little bit rogue by still, still in that other guy. They want to do the same thing here. And the reason that Leandrin says, I know that he's mad. I know that we're going to steal him. And I know that he's, you know, whatever, be- simply because he proclaimed himself the Dragon Reborn. That's all the evidence Leandrin needs because in her mind, if somebody says that, well, then you must be crazy. So you're guilty right away. Um, you know, keep that in the, your back pocket about her character. Okay. <laughs> uh, Moraine wants to join in and wants, she wants to play Shields too. And she wants to put a magic hat on Loghain. That's the guy's name, by the way, Loghain. Um, mm. She lets us know how strong he is. We know how strong Moraine is. So if she says somebody's strong, we definitely believe it. We're going to morph from this scene into our two warder ices, or <laughs> warders. Uh, they're playing some synchronized sword play. Uh, we get a little bit of information out of these guys. He says there's fewer Asadai than there used to be. He mentions that the Armorillan seat, who is the head of the Aes Sedai, is not exactly a big fan of Moraine. Uh, we learn that uh, he likes to hang out with land, but if his... Uh, Aes Sedai Karene comes up or comes calling. He's just going to immediately run off to her. No questions asked. Uh, he says, cheap trick. I was like, hey, cheap trick. It's not a reference to the band. It was. I was expecting him to go into I want you to want me or something. I loved it, especially the way he said it. 
but Stepin, that's the guy's name, by the way, Stepin. We talked about what our names might be in this world. And you had a nice little way of like switching vowel, switching consonants around. Mm-hmm. This guy has my name, I guess. I guess I would be Stepin if I was in this world. It's the closest mm-hmm. to Stephen I've seen. But please don't ever call me Stephen. Or Steven, sir. Stephen. <laughs> Mr. Barnes. Stephen, sir. <laughs> Mr. Barnes, sir. They're always working politics. You can see that no matter what Aes Sedai you talk to, they're always up to something. Um, we learned that uh, Moraine and Land are considered more or less boring. They're talk, kind of talking shit about they being Corinne and Stepan are kind of talking a little bit of shit about Land and Moraine. Um, Stepan says he worries more now than he used to. You remember back in the good old days when Stepan was just a chill, laid back warder? Remember that? No. Am I supposed to know this? No, but I mean, that's what he says. I mean, that's what they make these allusions to is that his life used to be all chill and now he's worried all the time. So I want to go back in time and see the chill stepping because this guy seems pretty cool to me. I also liked one of him and Land talking and he says, oh, you sure do know how to keep company. And then he talking about Nani. (laughs) Nanive. (laughs) Nanive. And he goes, she's barely company. She's just with, pretty much saying, she's just with us to go to somewhere. Uh, We're not friends. We don't know her. Right. And that's shade, bro. Well, they don't have the best relationship, do they? I mean, think back to their interactions. I mean, that's all on them, not on her. So (laughs) I guess so. Yep. But we're gonna, maybe, we're gonna, we're gonna, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Maybe that's what this dude was thinking. Like, oh my God, like they're drips. Uh, this, <laughs> this woman they're with is probably an okay person. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Uh, let's go, let's uh, skip the next scene. Let's keep talk, keep talking about the eyes to die. Uh, we have Nynaeve. She's enjoying a nice Panera bagel there. Leandrin comes up, tries to make nice with her. Uh, Nynaeve, first she calls her Nana or whatever you call her. She does the same trick. And, um, Nynaeve is, she knows how to handle herself in a, in a conversation. But actually I was thinking about it. So there's these group of Aes Sedai and then the long lost Moraine and land come and they have a person with them and nobody knows who this person with them is. And she's sitting off by herself. And then Leandrin comes up just to say, hey, Nynaeve is like, I know when somebody wants something from me. It's like, what if Leandra was just coming to say, hey, my name's Leandra and what's up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like that was it's a completely p- plausible situation. So we, uh, she gets invited to everybody for dinner. Everybody's heading to the White Tower. Lan keeps his promise and Nynaeve appreciates that. We can tell the look on her face that she's appreciative of that. Uh, let's see where else we got here. Okay, next up with the uh, the Aes Sedai camp, the next scene we see with them is we see Alana is holding down the fort with the false dragon or the dragon reborn or whatever you want to refer to him as. The episode's called the Dragon Reborn, so that's what I want to keep saying. But they keep calling him a false dragon, so we'll go with what the Aes Sedai say because they can't lie. So they say he's the false dragon. I say he's the false dragon too. Um, 
again, even though Alana and Moraine are clearly old, good friends, they're still working politics. They're still trying to get in each other's heads and figure out what's up. Because you got these seven different groups in the Aes Sedai, and they all have their own goals, and they should all be working together, but it doesn't seem like they always are. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, they, they talk about how strong this fellow Loghain is in front of them and how just the fact that he's so strong is just another clear sign of the end of an age. And, you know, in their world right now, things are chaotic and fucking up and seems like they're heading towards an apex, very similar to our world right now. And so, mm-hmm. like, whenever we see something new happen, like Ukraine gets attacked, um, it's like, this is another thing that's just proving that we're going to be dead in two years. It's the same thing with this guy. They find this guy that's, like, super strong. It's like, here's another sign. I told you shit's going to happen. I told you the last battle's coming. And have you picked up on that they keep talking about the last battle? Is that something that your ears have picked up on? No, just probably because they, they're talking about it so casually. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And once I find out about it, I'll find out about it. <laughs> well, it's a battle and it comes last. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, but they, they raise a very interesting question, which I'm going to raise here to you as well, just in case you didn't catch it. They say, what if the dragon reborn actually is a good person? And what if the red still him and that he was supposed to be helping us in this last battle, but instead he's powerless because the reds have stilled him? Pretty good point. Uh, did you catch that line? I did not. What do you think about it now? <laughs> it's always a what if with everyone, you know? I know. Like, what if you, this child could cure cancer? But it's also like, what if they grow up to be a terrible person? Pro-choice, baby. <laughs> They chose to be a terrible person, and then they chose to redeem themselves, and then they chose to cure cancer. It's all going to happen. Okay. <laughs> Let's touch on uh, Perrin and Egwene. There's really not much we see of Perrin and Egwene in the first half mm-hmm. of this episode. But we know that Perrin doesn't trust hippies. Um, all these hippies have dreadlocks. They're all uh, – looks like a Grateful Dead troop to me. Um, going back to Dragon Boy Suede, he made an excellent point uh, in the most recent episode I heard of him where he says that who makes a larger carbon footprint? Me or the friggin' Grateful Dead, who are supposed to be this hippie, you know, peaceful band all about the earth, but instead they have all these, or fish is a better example now. I think Grateful Dead, because that's who I followed. Now people do the fish thing, but it's the same thing mm-hmm. uh, with their plastic bags of weed and their, you know, all their disposable goods. Uh, but these hippies, well, though, these are the real deal. I get a sense yeah, that, yeah. Now you're you're kind of out of things. Now it's dead and company, baby. that's how far out of it I am. I've turned all metal all the time, except for when I turn on some hip hop or some rock. (laughs) So they're heading East, just like everybody else is heading East. Isn't it weird how these three groups split up from each other and they're all so huge. And well, the the exception of a Rand and Matt and Tom, that's a pretty small group, but -hmm. they got this big group of tinkers. They got this big group of uh, Aes Sedai all on horseback Uh, They're all going the same direction. They left at the exact same time and they're going to the exact same place. Why are they not side by side? It's a, it's (laughs) a lot of latitude, you know, (laughs) I guess. I mean, but they're all coming from the same spot. I guess one of them took, uh, took the off ramp and the other one stayed on the highway. 
Yeah, where they could have all just met up at the moat. I know, yes. <laughs> if we split up, guys, this is where we meet, right where we came in. Remember mm-hmm. here? <laughs> so at any rate, they're all going up there. They're, we got Egwene and Perrin also being bad liars. They try to claim they're from Whitebridge. This fellow, Aram, who we meet in this episode. Did we, we met Aram in the last episode, is that correct? The dude who's mainly talking to them? Yeah. Yeah, we met him last episode. Okay, good. So yeah, he's a cool guy with a cool haircut, and he's given us all the, all the all the juicy details about these guys. Uh, he, you can tell he senses that they're not telling the truth, uh, and that's where they wander off. So for our episode here, which is episode nine of Sweet Child of Time, we bid adieu to Perrin and Egwene, and we're gonna go on to talking about Matt and Rand, our favorite boys, right? <laughs> Oh, I did like one of the lines there when they asked Perrin and Egwene said, wait, why do you like trust us? We could be bandits. And he goes, you guys came here in tattered rags without any gold starving. If you're bandits, you're very bad at it. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, I'm glad you brought me back to that because there is another scene where they talk about the axe and Mm -hmm. they mention, um, of course, we saw Perrin have the situation with the axe. And then Isla asks him, you know, is your life better or worse since you picked up that axe? And of course, for Perrin, we know what the answer obviously is. But I think for us in our world, we might think of it something like... um, any kind of drug, fill in the blank. Is your life better or worse since you've done this? Or maybe even like any sort of lifestyle since you started doing this thing, has your life been better or worse? Um, she raises a great there, point that obviously um, Perrin has not thought about. There's a very good song by Idea and Abilities off from By the Throat that is called you know this song don't you Mm -mm. time flies when you have a gun that's this like it is (laughs) him explaining this concept but owning a gun opposed to just not owning a gun correct yeah i i thought about that as well we also she also talks about the way of the leaf and how these people they either run, endure, or they die. And she explains how even in death, you know, the leaf will crumble and become compost for the next tree in line. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their philosophy and Perrin's got his wheels spinning about this thing here. All right, now I'm gonna think we're gonna head on to uh to Rand and Matt. Yes? Yeah. We see them almost immediately get held up at arrow point. <laughs> I wonder if this fella's life has been better or worse since he picked up an arrow. <laughs> Except they are not. They are not what? They are not held up by arrow point because it makes sense. You don't want a, an actual arrow. That was CGI'd. The arrow itself was CGI'd. Oh, was it? I need to go back. I, I've seen this episode like five times. I can't believe I didn't catch that. If you, I mean, it's done very well, but it, there's something off. The, it was probably just like a like foam uh, 
cylinder that they had to so then they just you know it's green or blue and then the you know the digital effects artists could go in because mm-hmm. you don't want to be actually pointing an arrow at someone and i was looking and i was like are his hands cg'd what is something's <laughs> wrong here and i think it was the arrow itself wow you you might have a better tv than i do our tv is not hd it's just whatever the old style tvs are so I didn't notice that at all, but yeah, you're right. That's a pretty, pretty bad safety uh, flaw to like be pointing arrows at people on set. Mm -hmm. One thing we learned though here is that at Rand is pretty good at reading people. And he, the scene is trying to portray to us that, that Rand can calm somebody down and, you know, Rand kind of has the vibe or he can reason with people. I don't know where this came from, but that's the new uh, nuance to Rand now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They got to go muck the stables. Uh, I feel like Matt should, Matt should do fucking something (laughs) besides be funny and cool. (laughs) All right. Nothing else before we go on? Uh, no, I'm guessing, is this where the puking scene? No, not yet. We're getting there. Uh, so Matt makes mention that there's, uh, she says, no, he says that that chick Dana in town said there's five of us who are five mm. what does it mean five and i was like five man perhaps Ooh, <laughs> that's where my mind went <laughs> did you did your mind go there or no no i'm just trying to figure out who the fifth man is they did the fifth t- individual I, my right. guess was naive yeah that's a, that's a solid guess um they did the old trick though where like as soon as he says who's the fifth person they immediately zoom in on um Loghain who is the false dragon here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they do the, that, that kind of stuff on purpose, whether it's Allegedly. To, allegedly. false dragon. <laughs> we don't know what he is, but the Aes Sedai say he's the false dragon. Yeah, so we're back. The Gleeman needs to stay fresh for his performance. That's what he says here. That's why we don't have uh, Tom mucking out the stables because he needs to drink his tea and needs to be ready to put on a show for the kids inside. He's not going to go in there and sing that song <laughs> that he sang at the tavern. That's not mm-hmm. going to happen. He's going to go in there and probably juggle for the kids. He's going to tell them a cool story about some hero from the past because that's what Gleeman do. They tell stories. They captivate the audience. They they know the history of everything so they can tell Basically, they didn't have TV or radios or podcasts or anything or music or anything back then. So they needed these guys like Gleeman and Gleeman were very rare because most men had to battle or farm and there wasn't much room for guys to just to chill out and (laughs) learn trades like talking and playing music. So that's what a a Gleeman will do for his trade in this with the these three. It's displaying how they both know how to read a room then. Uh, what do you if, mean? If Rand was like, oh, the, the, if we try and do this opposed to what we think we should do, we can get a place to stay and be on good terms and keep surviving. Okay. If this Gleeman is like, hey, I'm not going to do my normal shit for these children. I know how to read a room to get my way in life and to keep surviving and living. And then the same with Matt of understanding and empathizing with this small girl Mm -hmm. because he is familiar with children of that age and to 
you know, like keep things moving and for him to survive to be like, oh, oh don't freak out. Yeah, I was puking up darkness, <laughs> but I'm OK. I will make sure you feel comforted. Yeah, he looked really alarming in that scene, too. Not only was he puking, but he like looked like a junkie. I mean, he was like sweating and just Mm -hmm. had these nervous tics and all the signs of like a, you know, not a well person, but he was super kind. Um, He immediately recognized like, I can't take your doll. Come on now. Um, Yeah, he was great to this girl. Um, And the doll had a the doll had a name and that she said it twice. Um, Bergita and Tom is probably familiar with Bergita because in this world, Bergita is like a legendary, um, warrior that all the kids love and know about. So this little girl has a doll named Bergita as well. And I think at this point, Rand does not, I mean, Matt does not take the doll. Is that right? (laughs) He does. Okay. Because... He's like, I can't take this. And then oh, she's like, she I- says, well, my doll always has wanted to see the world with you. Gotcha. She can. Yep. Matt's sisters and his love and the way he feels for his sisters is a central part to his character. So even though he's crazy, he's a jerk, he's throwing up this stuff, which we're going to talk about in just a second. He still he still remembers his sisters and that's central to his character is his love for them. So he's a good brother. The puke looks like caviar. It's dark colored. It's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's reminiscent of the dark blood that we saw in the Trolloc, and it's reminiscent of the blood that we saw Dana spill when her blood got spilled. Uh, did you have I any thought thoughts was, about that? It was also reminiscent of the like ant spiral that the alleged false or alleged real dragon when it wrapped around that dude's neck. That's what it looked more like to me or just the darkness, which I I have some opinions and some theories. It looked like what was coming out of that town as the darkness was like crawling up and trying to eat them. Yeah. Yeah. I had a fleeting thought about that when you said the way it was swirling, but I, I, that thought did not stick with me. I didn't write it down. I just kept mm-hmm. thinking cav- caviar. I kept thinking about the dark blood. I didn't think about that. And that makes even more sense. But yeah, it's clear that it's <laughs> it's not right. Uh, we're not sure if it's real or not because it could be in Matt's head because it looks yeah. like he's kind of crazy right now or it could be like – reality we're not sure like the bats that happened like we saw Rand spit up a bat we assume it was a dream but then there's the bat right next to him when he wakes up Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure if we're going to come back to that caviar and take a sip or not uh but here we're going to go on to rand he's talking with tom tom is telling us about his nephew owen who was seemed like a really cool dude fun guy like to like to party uh, until he started channeling and he went mad like you're like you're supposed to. If you're a male channeler that can touch mm-hmm. the source, you're going to go mad. So Owen uh, took his own life at the dinner table. Uh, traumatic. Tom is obviously. Uh, this is a central part to Tom's character as well, because uh, he 
makes mention that we got to keep Matt away from those eyes to die. I don't want anything to happen to Matt because he's reminded me of this crap that happened with my nephew, Owen. And he's, and you know, Rand's like, Oh yeah. The thing that happened with Owen is he was stilled first. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I forgot that part. The red stilled him. And then he went crazy. I wanted to bring that up because this reminds me of major, like when someone, something traumatic happens to them, either mentally or physically, and people just like live their life of like, well, man, this just sucks now. But you can get them on some medicinal marijuana and then mm. their life starts to get better. I think if you are stilled, the Aes <laughs> Sedai should then provide you with free medical marijuana yes. until you die. Oh, Owen would have been so happy at the dinner table. He would never have taken that knife and slit his throat. He would have taken a bong and taken a big old toke and said, here's to you, Tom. <laughs> Not a knife to the throat. It's a bong you shall toke. Yes. <laughs> so in this episode, the the bard who looks like an older version of the bard from the bard's tale for PlayStation two that came out in 2004. Um, he is saying like, Hey, describing that Matt might have this, this madness in him. And he says the most dangerous man, the most dangerous thing is a man who knows the past. Yes. I bring that up because Nicole was in the home at this time and she screams, what about a woman, huh? What about a dinky dog, huh? How about a little millipede? Yeah, I hear that. And you, you're you going to hear a lot of Wheel of Timesies have already said the same thing because there's plenty of glee men in the world, but not a whole lot of glee women. Um, she also yeah. said, what about a man who knows the future? <laughs> Yeah, gender roles, uh, there, there's some gender, I guess, gaffes in The Wheel of Time. It was written back in the 90s and 2000s. Even so. The in 2000s. I, dude, <laughs> Heather and Charlotte make fun of the way I say nine consistently, and I still know that I still do not know the correct way to say it. So I just. No, even if you said 90, I would still say <laughs> naive in 2000s. Back in the naive, um, even back then, some of the stuff can be can be re- read as sexist. It's few and far in between because he's been writing this book with along with his um, wife. Well, his wife didn't write it, but she was his editor, and she definitely was his uh, co-conspirator. I suppose you would mm-hmm. say his sounding board. Um, she definitely had a lot of input in the female characters, so he does a really good job of like portraying me male characters in like a feminist um, aspect and vice versa. But as for the glee men and the glee women, absolutely. That's completely sexist. Cause I don't, I can't think of any glee women in the story at all. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I think Nicole, or at least in my eyes, when he said like, man, he just meant human. Yes. But, uh, if anyone thinks that about mostly speaking Sentai intros of like, man, they seem, I, I don't know why anyone would be like, they seem very male centric. Just so you know, Nicole is my sounding board for those. She helps write those. 
<laughs> she does punch up on it. Right on. Well, let's let's start doing the scene by scene of the Dragon Reborn. We're about halfway through, and we just watched the scene that James was talk that uh, James was talking mm-hmm. about, where Tom was saying there's nothing more dangerous than a man who knows his past. They cut to uh, I think it's Moraine and Corinne just kind of staring at the Dragon Reborn in the cage, but there's no dialogue here. We just move straight to the waters, sitting around the fire, goofing around. That's where we're going to start. Okay. Yeah. All right, so the warders are goofing around. We see a blonde-haired Steppen. Now, we see the fire and the reflection and the glint of light, and his hair definitely looked blonde to me, James. What do you think about Steppen's hair? You know, there is a yellow hint and glow yeah. to a fire that, hey, I'm looking at you right now. You're orange, man. I guess you're an orange person. <laughs> you are that of Trump, okay? so Not okay. Just- <laughs> not okay sir i'm just saying if if i'm looking at things through these orange tinted glasses right uh, i'll say oh y- your hair is orange but no it's not really orange it's just the lighting well the the lighting of the fire made it look like Stepan had some nice blonde hair there's another blonde hair warder over there who's cuddling with ivan um, they're all having a good time, getting a little silly. Um, they're proud and tired. They talk about how the Aes Sedai are servants of all. Half serious conversation, half goofing around. Um, and whenever one of their significant others or Aes Sedai approaches the fire, there's not even a word spoken. They, The little boys just jump up and run and run off to bed. And yeah, what's, I- what you got, James? Okay, so this is one of my questions. Because the warders are, like, responsible for assisting the Aes Sedai at everything, does that include, like, romantic and sexual things? There's Cause that's what strong this insinuations like. happen in here. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it looks like Alana, who we know, she looks like a very straight-laced, well-spoken square, but she's got two warders that she's hooking up with in the tent later on that night. Um, I should dive into that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, we can already kind of tell that Lan has a different type of relationship with Moraine than these other warders do with their mm-hmm. I should die because there's another clear distinction with these with these warders. And these Aes Sedai, they're all of the green Aja. So the battle Aja, the green, can have multiple warders, and they like to have a uh, a nice, close, friendly relationship with their warders as well. It's a pretty well-known fact about the green Aes Sedai. Uh, this is a fun one. Um, they're sitting there talking uncomfortably. It's just Stepan and Nynaeve at the fire now. Stepan does this move where he kind of chuckles into his beverage as he's taking a sip i was like <laughs> james do you have a beverage handy i do not no oh god damn it well i do so i'm gonna try that right now i'm gonna try to take a sip of my drink as i chuckle amicably and see how that works on uh on podcast if he starts doing <laughs> ventriloquism listeners i'm going to be so pissed <laughs> It didn't work. I got water all over my pants. 
You cannot shuck, chuckle and take a sip of your drink at the same time, Stepan. I'm sorry. It just does you, not work. Well, yeah, you, not at the same time. It's like you're going to it. You chuckle and then you sip. <laughs> I, think, I guess it takes some water lessons. It did not work. You sure don't have. I want to see you do it now, James. Come on. I'd have to leave the room. God damn it. You stay right where you are, James. Stay where and I can I'm, see you. And I'm not wearing pants, so uh, I can't. <laughs> yep, stay right where you are, buddy. I like your clothes. All right, so we're going to cut to land going back to Moraine. Like I said, it's obvious they, they don't have quite the same relationship that those other Aes Sedai do with their waters. Mm-hmm. Um. They're discussing their dreams and the dark one. As soon as Lan enters the room, he knows exactly what's on Moraine's mind. Um, he doesn't even have to ask. When he drinks, she gets emotional. When she smokes, he gets high. So it's they talk about their relationship as closer than any other kind of relationship. And that's basically why they share a brain. They share emotions and they share all their feelings. Uh, yeah. So you want to go into any of that before we move on to our next scene? Is the dark one Liam Neeson? Why do you ask? Oh, because he played the dark one, aka the dark man in that Sam Raimi movie. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know. We have to keep watching Wheel of Time and see if, uh, Liam Neeson pops up. Oh, fingers crossed. I want him to return to the franchise, the Darkman franchise, not the Wheel of Time franchise. Let's see. We're mostly going to be coming back to the Aes Sedai, but for right now, we're going to cut over to see what uh, Egwene and Perrin are doing. They're having a party. uh, Okay, let me just describe this scene, and then I'll talk about how perplexed I am by it. So we're doing some aggressive hippie dancing. Um, They've been traveling all day in their wagons. They park their wagons and they want to party. So they're going to start a bonfire, play their drums real loud, dance and hoop and holler. Um, They do some dance talking. Like, I think it's really interesting when uh, you have two characters that are dancing and they're having a conversation while they're kind of boogieing at the same time. I don't think that was a very good direction to go, but they tried it out. Um, that was Aram and Egwene doing that. They're not actually dancing. You see them from the hip up. You, They're actually just sitting on a little like thing that swivels and just bounces up and down. So they don't have to focus on moving. They can just do their lines. Okay. All right. <laughs> so they're... Uh uh, what, what do we go here? Oh yeah, you get a clear, uh, clear indication that Aram is, you know, kind of a little bit sarcastic. He's not quite a true believer, um, even though he's been in this pack all his life. Um, I guess Aram's seen some shit, so he's not quite. He doesn't quite drink in the Kool Aid at this point. Um, I kind of describe these people as like tragic hippies. They're they have. I don't know. They have good morals, good standings, but they're they're out in the woods making a big fire. You know, there's Trollocs nearby because Aaron, I mean, Perrin and Egwene have been walking. So there can't be they can't be but so far away from these Trollocs. Did you have these thoughts that it might not be a wise decision to have such a huge party? No, but what you are describing are juggalos. They are tragic hippies out in the woods making a big fire, just dancing in trollocs, a.k.a. the police are nearby. 
<laughs> or just my friends who would go to the two tracks off from Sweeter Road and uh, get drunk and think they were good at freestyling. Yeah, the, the gathering of the too often. Now, also, the, yeah. can I say something? I don't think the Trollocs are directly following them, though, right? They're following. They're they're tracking down the Dragon Reborn, just like every just like Moraine is. That's their goal is to find the Dragon Reborn. So they're following. They don't know who the Dragon Reborn is either. So they're following every, all four or five of them from the village. Mm-hmm. Oh, we might know who that fifth one is now, baby. Oh, who knows? But yeah, we're talking to Isla here. Isla played by, I wrote her name down here. Where did it go? I should know off the top of my head because she's fantastic. She, did you know she has 10 albums out? The woman who plays Isla here. No. Um, she had, had a single out a couple of years ago called Fuckability. She's the one who's talking to Param, Perrin mm-hmm. and like telling him like all about their their reincarnation and that's like a that's a real thing in this world by the way if you hadn't already figured it out reincarnation you know is a normal thing that people see and believe in in this Mm -hmm. world steve can i ask you something at least in my camera or from my view of you behind you do you have the special edition of the original trilogy yeah vhs yes okay all right i just wanted to make sure that that's what that was because i'm like i think that's darth vader and that would be the only thing that that could be yep hello there (laughs) that's right yeah, I'm uh, I'm blanking on her name. I didn't write it down, but we know her from uh from Downton Abbey. Um she played the narc that like told on um she told on one of the lords and it it got out in the papers. She's been an orphan black. I mean, she is associated with Snow Patrol. She rocks. Kennedy is her last name, but I can't think of her first name. Pause in here. Yeah, Aram in Egwene clearly have a, an okay platonic relationship as well. Um, platonic relationships are cherished in this world. Um, Aram knows that Egwene is taken and she has her mind on somebody else. And he's cool with that. He's cool with just watching the stars with her and talking to her. He's always happy to talk to a new person, I'm sure, other than the, all these hippies he's hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about a, they kind of have like a rumspringa where they're allowed to go out into the world and do their thing. Um, they can come back if they want. Most of them come back. Some of them don't. That's okay because, you know, you you fall where you fall. And yeah, any thoughts about that? Yeah, they're also talking about the song. We finally ah. get why they were asking about that of a song that when sung and performed will bring harmony and peace to the world. And guess mm-hmm. I know that song. Oh, you know the song. Do you know the song? I do. It's Call On Me by Eric Prides. Oh, how did... Okay, so tell us about this song. You, I can't believe we've actually heard it. What, okay, what is it? Tell it's me something about it. It's that song with that sexy music video and they sample another person's song, but it's not really a sample. They re-recorded it because they couldn't clear the master sample <laughs> because it would be way too expensive. There's an, there's an ad going right now and I'm going to skip that ad right now. Oh, skip oh, it. Oh. Uh, it's Call On Me! Call On Me! Call On Me! That song, it's like a dance hit. 
Okay. That's the song that's going to bring peace to everyone, and that's what the two awesome men looking for? <laughs> I was just trying to find, like, the dumbest song that, like, would bring peace to people. <laughs> it's a good song for, like, a club at club dance hit. I don't even know it, so I'm going to have to put it in the podcast later because I have no idea what song you're talking about. But it's, if it's the song, then I'm very happy that you brought it to our attention. <laughs> then it's the Cedar Point Vanga Boys. Vanga Boys, you know, the... Yeah. There. There. Everyone knows that song. Call appe- on me. Call on me. It appears that Egwene says, she says that, that y'all have already found the song. You guys look pretty happy as it is, but they're not. They're looking for more. They're looking for more out of this life than just traveling and looking for the song. They want to find the song. They want to be in it. So anyway, what else do we have to say about that? Islet, of course, tells the uh, the story of her daughter, um, who is Aram's mother, Um we don't need to talk about how tragic that was. It was, of mm-hmm. course, it was tragic. Uh, let's move on to this next scene because we got some more tragedy happening here. Um, are we moving on from the Tawathan now? Yeah. All right. So Matt looks rough. Um, Can I is- comment on Matt? <laughs> Please. He he needs a fantasy name, guys. It's just Matt. It's one T. So that's cool. And it's, oh, okay, all right. Well, I, if we go, if we can assume his real name is Matthew, I got Mat- some Matrim. It's Matrim. M A T R I M. Oh, that is his full name. Yes, Matrim. Oh, okay, then Matrim Cawthorn. Then never mind. He has a fantasy name. <laughs> I was, what, what did you? Were you going to name him? What, what were your, some of your suggestions? I was going to say Matt Ew, so it's not a th sound. <laughs> May you or just Thew. Thew. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a colloquialism for shit. And like, oh, there's some few over there. Or it's like like few. I just had a good workout. <laughs> I lisp and I had a workout. Few. Yeah. <laughs> you made me lose my thought. Okay, yeah. Rand's here for Matt's always, bro. Uh, they blow the candle out. They have some cool, creepy dreams. This is what mm-hmm. we've been waiting for. Um, we see Perrin swinging his hammer on a pile of bodies. That ain't good. Matt's got some bloody hands. He's got blood on his hands, literally or figuratively. I don't know. Egwene is there, and she is uh, snuffed by the Sandman with those big, burny eyes. Uh, any thoughts about the creepy dream before we move on? No, it was just cool. Hell yes, it was cool. That's the that's the thing that really drew me to the Wheel of Time world was the dreams and the dream world within, which uh, we'll get to. Uh, so Rand wakes up from his dream. Where's Matt? Well, <laughs> we go in the house and we see a bunch of dead bodies. We see a lot of blood. We see Matt standing creepily in the center of the room. Um, looks like he has done all this, but he points his ruby knife. We finally see that ruby knife. He points it up to a fade up in the shadows. Fades move in the shadows. So wherever there's a shadow, a fade can move easily from one shadow to the next. They cannot be in the light. They are in the shadows. So that's why they're so hard to kill. Like if you look in your room right now, there's like shadows under the radiator, shadows under my amp, 
I mean, that's where the fades can just move quickly through any shadow to any other shadow. This is what you do. You get a Pikachu with flash Mm -hmm. and then he lights up the entire room and you, he (laughs) can't move through the shadows. This is a reference to the Pokemon comic book, (laughs) not even the TV show. Well, if Pikachu was there, he'd have no problem with this fade, but Mm -hmm. the rest of us have a problem with it, especially Tom. He's got a tangle with it. He tells Rand to get Matt the hell out of here and we leave Tom in the room to battle the fade. We don't see how that battle ends, but no one's dead when we leave that scene. That's a good sign. There's like four people dead. Oh, (laughs) Sleepy James told us that there's four dead bodies. Correct. But our fighters are the fade and Tom. And as we exit that scene, they are still in their battle. Uh... Oh, I think also what you could, what kills a fade is a giant key wielded by just a huge footed boy. That's mm. Kingdom Hearts. Okay. <laughs> the the heartless mm. travel in shadows and you kill them with a huge key blade. And Goofy and Donald help you from Disney. Fantastic. That all went over my head. I'm aware of Kingdom Hearts, and that's about it. Um, Did you see the uh, the gross black stuff coming out of Matt's mouth? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that didn't look good. Uh, And as he and Ran were running off, he lost little Birgitta, the little doll. That makes us sad. We Mm -hmm. want that doll to go with Ran, with Rand and Matt, and see the world, but it's got to stay there in that little house. That's a pretty heavy shit. Yeah, that's how we leave uh, Rand and Matt here. That's uh, pretty intense. Do you have any uh, thoughts or questions before we go on? No, I do not. All right. I could talk a long time about that. I'm not going to because that's all that we saw. So that's all that we get. Now we're going back to the Aes Sedai. And I believe that they are hanging out for the rest of the episode. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. So first we get Leandrin. She and Corinne are talking their Aes Sedai political scheming. She's talking about stealing the guy. Corinne is not hearing any of that. She's like, you Reds got it all backwards. I should be telling you. Uh, After we see that scene and we see that they're having a little bit of internal strife, I think it's pretty clear that when they cut to Loghain, he has kind of like a little smirk on his face. Slight little smile there before they cut off. Um, did you notice that too, or was that just me? That might've been just you because I don't know who Loghain is. Oh, Loghain is the guy sitting in the cage. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I caught that. Yeah. Okay. I think we were supposed to, um, you know, I've seen the episode like four or five times, so I don't know if I was looking for the smile or what, but yeah, it was there. Uh, we cut to Nynaeve. She's doing some wood stacking. Uh, she sees Lan walking off. So she decides to follow him, see what's up. They do some prayer together. And we learned some interesting stuff here about both of them. Um, that land speaks a diff- another language and can readily translate it. Uh, we're talking about the king of Manetherin again. Uh, he keeps coming up every episode. Um, we learn yeah, so, about... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, uh, Nanive, that's her name? Ninety. Tell me what her name is. Nynaeve. Nynaeve is 
Because every single episode, I feel like I am told a different thing. Nynaeve <laughs> says this prayer in a different <laughs> language, and she's like, but I don't know what it means. And he says, you want to know what that does mean? And she says, yeah. So he then says, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended <laughs> warranty. She's like, damn it, my parents sucked. <laughs> she got him. Or he got her. Got him. They're about to have a nice little moment there because, you know, they're chuckling together. They're having a good time. Uh, but then we hear the screams. Something's happening. We're going to take a quick break. and We're going to come back. Oh, no, we're not taking a break. We got a finger up. What's up, James? Uh, real quick during this, like it's there's kind of like some tension between them. Nicole just walks in the room and she's like, just fucking kiss already. And then leaves the room. <laughs> Hell yeah, Nicole. I'm, I'm in her corner. But yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and finish discussing this episode. So the thing that interrupted them was a battle. Uh, there, there's a bunch of men approaching. We learned that those, uh, those guys that were in Loghain's army following the Dragon Reborn, those thousands of followers he had, including the king now, the king's on his side, don't forget, um, they weren't laying low. They were just waiting for the right time to attack. And it kind of looks like this could have been a coordinated attack because everything happens at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So I want to go through my notes here to make sure we get everything in order because this is a bunch of important stuff. Um, okay, the army's back. We see Alana. She can battle. She can get those arrows out of the sky, make them wait for the right moment. The army is super well-dressed. I hope you weren't wearing <laughs> your blue blockers for this because this was like the best-dressed army I've ever seen in my life. Their clothes were colorful, immaculate. Did you happen to notice any of that? No, but I, best you, I guess you've never seen the Kiss Army, brother. <laughs> These guys were well-dressed in a different type of way. I, I don't know. I didn't notice it at first watch either. It didn't. I think maybe after the third or fourth watch is when you start noticing weird details like that and just their clothes. I mean, they, they, like they spent a lot of time in the wardrobe, but maybe not enough time in the realism department because everybody just had the nicest clothes. I have an yes. alt for my joke. I guess you've never been to a triple turkey Thanksgiving because those are <laughs> that's a well-dressed army of, of turkey. <laughs> You got another alt. What's another what's another thing that could be dressed? I guess you've never been to the salad uh what's a S word that starts with the salad service. Uh <laughs> it's salad that fights for the queen. <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait to chop all that up. I'm gonna chop that up so it sounds great. <laughs> no, you don't need to. It's fine. Just cut out Perfect pauses. as is, as usual. So we got this well dressed army, Alana rules. Um, Nynaeve looks like she's kind of trying to figure out what the hell to do in this, in this battle. She pulls out the little tiny knife right in time. She kills a hipster with it. Good job. Uh, you can see that the warder and the Aes Sedai are on the same page mentally during this attack, which is why that they're great, Mm -hmm. um, battle companions. Are we at the point yet? Yes. Loghain has busted loose. Uh, Which, yes, I have a question. Maybe it's not answered, but it feels like he could have broken out at 
any time. Exactly. He could okay. have broken out at and any time. And he was just waiting for the army to be right by his side in order to help him escape. That's exactly right. I didn't pick that up the first time I watched it, but on multiple viewings, it's it's very apparent that it was all timed. I mean, this was this was the plan. This was why they had such an easy time capturing him because he went mm-hmm. willingly. And when he breaks out, I don't know if this was nominated for any awards, but the special effects department for that cage melting deserves mm. a, an award. That was fucking dope. It was. And right before the cage melted, you can see it looks like uh, like two giant black snakes like creeping around on the floor, like to help that happen. And just, Mm -hmm. yeah, those effects blew me away too. So he is confronted with Moraine. We get a classic standoff, Um, but she wants to chit chat first. She wants to know why he thinks he's the dragon. He, he can hear all the old dragons in his head. He's learning from them. He knows what to do going forward. Um, He says he knows exactly what the wheel wants. Moraine's like, the wheel doesn't want anything. People want things. This right here, and it made me Google it, and at least one other person felt the same way, that Avatar The Last Airbender was influenced by Wheel of Time because Mm -hmm. that's the same kind of thing that the Avatar has is, like, also, like, is kind of the dragon in a sense that can do all of this magic and is sought after. And when they don't succeed, the world fails, mm-hmm. but they can hear and communicate. I, I've only seen the first season or whatever. It wasn't for me, but they can communicate with the previous avatars. It's yeah, it's a great concept. And yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't rip it off. I don't know why more people haven't ripped it off actually. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, so it almost seems like Moraine was kind of biding her time until Corinne and um, Leandrum are ready to get him back in the shield again. So they try to shield him. Uh, doesn't quite work. And unfortunately, our friend goes down for the count. Corinne is down. And everybody feels that death. Even out in the battlefield, even Nynaeve has to, like, lean against a tree. She feels the death as well. Everybody knows what just happened. And it takes everybody out of it for a moment, but then they get right back into it, and they just come back even harder. The warders rush to go to help uh, Loghain and get him under control. The Aes Sedai stay back to finish the battle off. We see Alana do a huge burst of energy to... (laughs) pretty much fuck up the entire battle leaves Mm -hmm. it right there but it's like why don't why don't you just start out doing that ma'am because um to harness that much power you're in huge danger of murdering yourself if you harness too much power you can burn yourself out so yeah that makes sense because then it's like well one of us has already died if i don't do this (laughs) now it could be all of us or just two of us died right okay a little later on, too, when you see Leandrin come very close to burning out because she's so pissed off about what just happened, you can see like her cheeks and her face start uh, burning, literally burning, mm-hmm. um, before she you know takes control, a little bit of control of herself, and she does not burn herself out here, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, <laughs> but she is very quick 
to want to still the individual after this happens. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, Corinne goes down. Everybody feels that. Everybody rushes in to help. Stepin, the warder of Corinne, I don't want to say it's his fault, but I mean, it's kind of his fault. The next scene that happens is he goes to attack Loghain. The shield is up, so the axe can't go through the shield. The axe splinters off and fucks everybody up in the room, basically. Um, everybody gets shards through them, and Lan gets a huge one through the throat. I was about to stop watching this show. Why? Because I thought, hey, he's going, if he fucking dies, I'm done. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Yeah, and shows love to do that kind of thing. Take out the main character in the first season. Um, but uh, Nynaeve, has, you saw in the battle earlier, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Nynaeve was on the ground and a guy was getting ready to kill her and Lan comes to her rescue and saves oh, her no. life right there. And when she was just like in that cave, like, what should I do? I was like, save the fucker who's been saving you this entire time. <laughs> she does that. Eventually, she like she's so upset about his throat um, being cut that she harnesses the power, the power of the sun. And it heals everybody in the room like she's so strong and didn't even realize it, that she heals everyone, not just Lan. Um, she cannot heal Corinne because Corinne is already dead. I don't know if you're going to ask that or not, but no, what I was going to say is dragon Zord. Nah, she's the <laughs> dragon. She doesn't need a goddamn mech anymore. She get power Rangers out of here. That's in the back of her mind. She is the dragon. She's something. I mean, she didn't, she didn't, wasn't even aware that she could do this and we're not sure if she can even do it again. It's just the, I guess the heat of the battle and just the, the wanting of control to, you know, get back with Lan and get him back to breathing again. I mean, she had it within uh, her. <laughs> Steve, have a little more confidence in the dragon. Okay. Nynaeve, I have total confidence that you are the dragon reborn. I saw it in your eyes when we cut to the end credits. <laughs> Nothing she was answered it. in this episode, just more questions, but... Yeah, that was definitely answered that Nynaeve has a stronger power than everyone in that room, including Moraine. So, yes, the dude said it. Uh, Moraine said, you have no power. The power is the, the power of the dragon is like the raging sun. And Loghain is like, holy shit, there's a raging sun right here in front of me. Uh, at this point, it seems like he's disarmed. Um what just happened is as shocking to Loghain as everyone else in the room. Mm -hmm. The Aes Sedai take this opportunity to shield him, but they're not strong enough to shield him at this point. And it doesn't even seem like Leandrin even tried. She was just going straight for the stilling. That's what she's been wanting to do this whole time was to suck the magic out of this guy, still him and just eliminate that threat. And she freaking did it. <laughs> He's not... <clears throat> He's not a magic user anymore. He's done. Oh, he's not done, but he's laying on the floor, just a regular mortal like everybody else. So if they needed him during the last battle, they don't have him. They got naive, well, but not him. I took this entire scene because Moraine was also, it seemed like, fine with stilling him because she, I think, realized like, oh, he's not. And 
I think this woman over here might be. Uh, That's how I took it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, sure, it's open to interpretation. I saw it as, you know, Leandrin taking this opportunity to do this and everybody else out of the lack of not knowing what the hell else to do because everything that just happened is like completely, you know, everybody is shocked by this whole situation. It's like a slap at the Oscars and no one knows how to react. So everybody just kind of (laughs) goes along with the moment and just lets it happen. (laughs) What are you talking about? Uh, Something a couple of years ago, there was a weird thing at the Oscars where Marlon Brando uh, led a native American on the stage, but that's beside what? <laughs> no, I, I was I was just making a joke that like I don't I haven't been on the internet all week. What are you talking about? Just an Oscar thing that happened, and everybody has an opinion about it. If you really want to hear the real story, I would check out Improv for Humans with Matt Besser because he was there at the Oscars, and so he had like a firsthand perspective of everything that happened. So that's where I would go if I were you to find out the story. Is Improv for Humans this week? Not the best week to be shouting out Matt Besser and Improv for Humans. Why? Of, Why is that? Because we're trying to plug our own stuff? No, because of Yo Is This Racist calling him out for being, like, bottom line, just being an asshole to them in the beginning days of saying Yo Is This Racist is racist. <laughs> uh, in the, like, there, there was an old episode of Improv for Humans where the entire episode was just them kind of trash talking. Andrew T and his show that I was remember that episode. On, yeah. Yeah. So th- with the whole Earwolf thing happening and that Verve article coming out of talking about how Sirius XM kind of just shit the bed with buying Stitcher and Earwolf mm-hmm. uh, on Yo Is This Racist, they were talking about that. And Andrew T was like, yeah, I wish I One, I wish they would have contacted other people of color for this article. And also, I probably kicked myself in in, or kicked myself in the mouth because I went on a long diatribe of the time Matt Besser called me a racist for calling out racism in the Midwest. (laughs) I I haven't heard that episode yet, so I wasn't aware of that. Uh I don't know. Yeah, I know Matt Besser doesn't always say the correct right thing all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't I don't know. I don't consider him like a problematic figure whatsoever. Um, I don't know. His perspective at the at the the Oscars was pretty right on as well. Um, I don't know. (laughs) What was he at the Oscars for? Uh, His wife, Danielle Schneider, was one of the writers uh, the Oscars. And oh, okay, okay. I forgot comedians write for those award shows. Yeah, and what went down was like a joke uh, went awry, but Danielle, uh, no, I, uh, Danielle Schneider did not write that joke. <laughs> I was I was about to say, oh man, should, uh, should the real person, I, I mean, at the bottom line, like Chris Rock said the joke, he could have vetoed the joke. Um, okay, that's something that we don't need to talk about this, but I'm going to do anyway. That's what Matt said was happening at the Oscars was that Chris Rock would come out and he would first, um, like a comedian would just riff a couple of jokes to the people in the front row. And Mm -hmm. then he would go on with his prepared remarks. And he was doing that every time he came out. Mm. So yeah, that's how that went down. He was just, you know, riffing before the, uh, thing started. So it's all on him. 
Uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> if he's riffing, I mean, like, that's all coming from his head, not from the writers. Correct. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he said that. Mm -hmm. that was, it was not a written joke. But yeah, so the room decides to go along with this stilling. And we leave Loghain laying on the floor. We leave Nynaeve looking intense, looking like maybe she could be the dragon reborn. And we go right into episode five. So that was The Dragon Reborn. Did you have any uh, closing thoughts about the entire episode, James? I did not. Damn. Okay. I think I've gone through everything. I thought this was going to be a much longer episode because so much happened in this episode and so much stuff was covered. And um, I'm going to take a pause real quick. Maybe not for mm -hmm. our listeners, but for you. I just want to read my notes real quick and make sure I didn't miss anything important. Okay. May I? Alrighty. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to pause. Hang on. I guess the only thing I missed was uh, when Nynaeve and Lan were doing their prayer before all the shit went down. Um, the number seven came up again. Lan was talking about this doing seven prayers to the seven fallen towers of Malkir. And they also made mention that there was seven Aes Sedai uh, that were there ready to do battle that were traveling with them that day. So there's three sevens right there for you, James. Seven, seven, seven. Um, I think that's about all we got for this episode here, James. Are you still digging watching The Wheel of Time, James? Yeah. If not for this podcast, would you be continuing watching this show? Yeah, there's only four more episodes. Why not? Yeah, why the hell not? I mean, this was my um, my favorite episode so far of episodes one, two, three, and four. This was by far like the pinnacle, I think. Um, did you have any favorites so far going in or you agree with me? I, I guess I agree with you. I'm just, it's all one thing for me right now. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Especially how we're watching it in halves. So. Yeah. It feels like we've watched eight episodes actually when it's only mm -hmm. been four. Or if, for me, it feels like I've just watched one thing. Right. Gotcha. Well, this is officially episode 10 of Sweet Child of Time. We're 10 episodes in now. Uh, we're going to start with episode five next week. And let's go into our plug corner, James. I'm going to let you go first, my friend. Hey, guys, check out my podcast, Mostly Speaking Sentai, Hit It and Crit It. And Shuffling the Deck. Those are wherever podcasts are found. Wherever you're listening to this, you can listen to those or go to mlmpod.com for more information, links to listen to those, and check out my music there under Marsh Land Monster. And you can find that wherever music is found. Again, April 8th, loop that single, Gene Materials. It's, a, it's the song and the beat. Just keep those looping nonstop all day, baby. Yeah. Yay! And patreon.com forward slash MLM pod. Best way to support me and my friends and get exclusive podcasts out of that that are only available there. Oh, also, um, I just did, I did a huge interview. Uh, and by huge, I mean like a, a very lengthy interview on Horror Corridor. It's on the violent or quality violent cinema YouTube page. It was like a two plus hour interview. They were interviewing me about horrorcore, my music, etc. Cool. I'm going to put a link to that in the notes. Everybody can just click onto it. 
Yeah, and April 8th, why that is today, my friend. So everybody can listen to Gene material right about now. Go check it out. Uh, as for me, Steve Barnes, I just released uh, an EP called Live at Foul Orchards with Rebecca Crow. You can find that in the description of the show notes as well. And Introvoid. I'm always doing Introvoid stuff and I'm working on new material for Introvoid as we speak. Started last night. So here we go. I guess that's the end of the show, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm so out of whack. I don't know why. (laughs) May you find water and peace. May you find peas and carrots the next time you have your meal, James. Hey, I I think we could still keep that normal. (laughs) Like, may you find water and shelter. What is it? James, may you always find water and shade. And you may find water and shade as well. (laughs) Thank you, James. And from one confused individual to another, goodbye. Bye. Bye.